Before we get going with this week's show, how about some words from a few of our friends? Let's start with Canterbury Park. The $120,000 BCBC Big Ten Tournament is happening Thursday, September the 16th. It is a $3,000 entry. It's a $2,000 live bankroll contest. $1,000 is your entry fee. It's happening September 16th. It's the largest BCBC qualifying contest of the summer and fall. Just a few of the details. 10 BCBC seats are available. Two NHC seats and $10,000 cash minimum. For more details, head on over to expressbet.com as well as canterburypark.com. Now, our friends at Monmouth Park. With full fields and big payouts, Monmouth Park has returned as a place to profit. Monmouth's Friday night twilight cards are the perfect place to build that weekend bankroll. Live action from Monmouth Park starts at 5 o'clock Eastern every Friday. Weekend action at Monmouth Park begins at 12.15 Eastern every Saturday and Sunday, kicking off the 50-cent win early pick five. Start your weekend days with a bang by playing the 15% takeout win early pick five every Saturday and Sunday. It's one of the nation's first pick fives every weekend. It's big fields, competitive racing, and big paydays, all at beautiful Monmouth Park racetrack. And last but not least, our friends at Equinedge. Equinedge.com provides AI metrics for next-generation horse players. Equinedge utilizes the latest advancements in machine learning technology to bring tools typically locked away by CAWs to everyday players. Stop guessing and start knowing at Equinedge.com. Visit Equinedge.com today and use the promo code FREEMONEY to get your first month of unlimited access absolutely free. Again, that is promo code FREEMONEY over on Equinedge.com. Now, on to episode 80 of the show. What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter. Oops, I'm throwing stuff around. At Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, August the 30th, 2021. This is episode 80 of the program. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the podcast. If you're somebody that just, you got your mobile device, you got your iPad, your tablet, whatever it may be, or you just want to listen while you're doing other stuff. Uh, you have Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few options. If you're somebody who likes to watch along over on YouTube, I know there's a sort of a, a core contingent that like to do that as opposed to listen to it, or maybe you do other stuff while you've got YouTube playing in the background. I know I'm guilty of that. Throughout the day, I end up having YouTube over here with different music playing, and it's basically just effectively, I'm listening to it, but I've got other stuff going on on the other screens. Uh, all you need to do Search bar Matt Bernie or show you'll get this episode along with the 79 prior. Sometimes you're going to get more visuals that go along with the show if you do watch over there as opposed to just listen uh, via the podcast apps and things like that. But uh, this week, it, it, there's so much, so much to cram into this week's show. And by the way, please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, and if you're over on YouTube, make sure that bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. And make sure... You give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Either way, it's up to you. Doesn't matter to me. Just the more interaction, the better. Um, I, th- this is a jam-packed week. A million races that I want to get to. I don't know if we're going to do deep dives as far as replays and things like that are concerned, but it's basically going to be... I'm going to try to go as rapid fire as possible because there is about 10 pounds of you-know-what in a five-pound bag, and it's just I want to get it out there and not have the show go two hours. But before we get to that... I think it's it's a good time to look ahead, and I know we've got closing weekend at Saratoga and Del Mar coming up, but we've got opening weekend at Kentucky Downs, and this would be the 2021 FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs. I think we want to 
at least need to touch on a few different things and also highlight a big contest or a series of contests actually coming up at Kentucky Downs. So the 2021 FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs, uh, September 5th, 6th, 8th, 9th, 11th, and 12th. There are six graded stakes races. It is America's richest race meet. As many of you are familiar with from watching Kentucky Downs throughout the years, uh, it's the only all-turf European-style course. A lot of undulations, and I think it leads to some really... Visually, it's stunning. I, I love... Between the Kentucky Downs track, and it's unfortunate that out at Santa Anita, you know, the downhill turf course really is kind of a thing of the past, but Kentucky Downs has genuinely one of the most unique setups from a grass standpoint, and it's one of the reasons that I find it as enjoyable as I do. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting back to that sort of, I don't know, it just, it, it does, it has a very European feel because it's the only European style all turf course that we have here in the U.S. New ownership for Kentucky Downs. Ron Winchell and Mark Falcone, uh, very familiar with these names in the horse racing world. Uh, this is also going to be a meet, the FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs that features arguably the strongest jockey colony in the United States. You're going to have five Kentucky Derby winning jockeys. They all attended the meet in 2020, and they're likely to ride there again coming up here in the next handful of weeks. Almost $16 million in total purses if a Kentucky bred. If not a Kentucky bred, the purses are still higher than the national average. Uh, two and a quarter million plus is given away per day if you are a Kentucky bred. There are three $1 million races. Keeneland doesn't have any million dollar races. That's worth noting. Uh, the Windstar Mint Million on 9-6, the FanDuel Turf Sprint on 9-11, and the Calumet Turf Cup on 9-11 as well. Uh, two of those races happen to be Breeders' Cup Challenge Series races. They're both going to be on September the 11th, uh, the FanDuel Turf Sprint and the Calumet Turf Cup. Those races will be televised on NBC. And as we know, the Breeders' Cup Challenge Series, it's a win and you're in for those respective divisions. Uh, let's talk about some of the other pieces that are involved with this FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs. Uh, the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund uh, makes close to 40% of the Kentucky Downs purses and is only eligible for registered Kentucky breads. Funds for the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund are derived through HHR from Kentucky Downs. Uh, Kentucky Downs produces more Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund funds than any other organization in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And I mentioned the handicapping tournament, and this is a really important piece, and I think it's one that you're going to certainly want to take advantage of, and there are many ways for you to get involved. The King of the Turf Challenge presented by the Daily Racing Form. Here's the format, and this is I'm most anxious to see how everything plays out. There are three two-day tournaments, which I think is fantastic. It's not a matter of catching a heater on one day. You need to be good over a prolonged period of time. Three two-day tournaments to qualify as the turf handicapper of the year. You need to play in all three of them. It's an aggregate score. To play in the tournament, you can play on ExpressBet, NJBets, or TVG. And if you're looking for some more information on the con on the excuse me on the tournament, contact Brian Skirka. That's a name that I'm sure many contest players will be familiar with. He's from Monmouth Park. He will have some questions or some answers for any questions that you may have. Uh, B Skirka, that is B S K I R K A at MonmouthRacecourse.com. Uh, the dates again: September 5th and 6th. September 8th and 9th, September 11th and 12th, you can win seats to the NHC as well as the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. Now, you'll recall earlier I mentioned HHR. What is HHR? Historical horse racing machines. Uh, thanks to the machines that produce the purse money and the Kentucky bread money, the decision by the Kentucky legislator, a uh, recent decision by legislature to amend the law to allow the historical horse racing machines as part of paramutual wagering. They've saved the purses at Kentucky Downs and allows the Commonwealth of Kentucky to work towards creating the richest race circuit in America, which obviously is 
Kentucky Downs. Uh, visiting Kentucky Downs, if you're someone who is planning on going to check out the races, uh, the closest airport would be in Nashville. Uh, there's a county fair atmosphere instead of sort of your traditional racetrack, which I think is also a fun wrinkle to everything that it, it really is involved with Kentucky Downs. I think it's definitely another selling point. that You get something that's a little bit of a different experience than what you're used to at any of these other racetracks that we talk about throughout the year. There's also a new VIP hospitality area, uh, the new FanDuel VIP Chalet and Finish Line Pavilion. Fun fact, the FanDuel VIP Chalet is the same tent from the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita in 2019. So if you were out at the BC in 2019, may see some familiar pieces there. Uh, it's all-inclusive. For more information and for tickets... KentuckyDownsTickets.com or KYDownsTickets.com. I think it's really one of the most fascinating race meets of the entire year, really globally, but especially here in the United States because it is so unique. I think we all get sort of used to just seeing, I don't want to say the same thing over and over again, but we know what the deal is. You're going to have a dirt oval, you're going to have a turf oval, maybe you've got two turf courses, something crazy like that. The Kentucky Downs meet is something that is entirely unique it, it, there's nothing that can come remotely close to it. I think it's one of the most interesting meets of the entire year. And you get legitimately good runners that not only race in those races, but then go on to do big things. Uh, don't forget Tourist a few years ago. He won a big race at Kentucky Downs, parlayed that into the Breeders' Cup Mile victory out at Santa Anita. He now has the Tourist Mile. There are other races that I think this Kentucky Downs meet can be very important for. If you recall back to last year, horses coming from Kentucky Downs went on to do very well at the Keeneland meeting in the fall. So there are many handicapping angles, and I have to assume a big piece of that is because you've got such a testing sort of undulating turf course that when you get back to just the flat mile or whatever distance the horses are running at on the grass, they've got fitness for days. That's just basically a warm-up for them. So I, there's so many reasons to get tied into the 2021 FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs. And again, I think that contest is it, it's just really a cool idea. I think it's something that you want to, if you haven't thought about it, this is a, a great opportunity to get involved. Uh, the King of the Turf Challenge, again, it's three two-day contests. I think it's really just an interesting concept. And the, the contest world, uh, you know, and I think PTF and I, we, we tried to change things up a little bit with the happy hour sort of regular season and postseason that we've put together, along with the Breeders' Cup and Horseplayers.com. But something like this King of the Turf Challenge, I think, is definitely a nice little wrinkle. And again, it's an aggregate score. You need to play in all of them to be eligible to be the Turf Handicapper of the Year. So we just wanted to get some of those pieces out there for our friends down at Kentucky Downs. The 2021 Fan Duel Meet at Kentucky Downs it starts this coming weekend. Now... Before we fully go on to looking at, and, and I, I won't have much time to touch on many of the races for this upcoming weekend at Saratoga or Del Mar, uh, it is worth noting, I will be back at Saratoga this weekend. I was down there for the Travers with America's Best Racing, Dan Torchman and everybody. It was a fantastic afternoon. We saw some brilliant racing, and that's what we're going to talk about here on this show today. Next Saturday, this coming Saturday, Labor Day Saturday, uh, back at Saratoga, we've got a couple of Breeders' Cup Challenge Series winning your in races. Those will be televised on NBCSN, I believe, starting at 5 o'clock. Uh, both the Flower Bowl and the Jockey Club Gold Cup from Saratoga. I will be up there uh, helping out with that broadcast. So, but th that's a few days away. There was so much that happened over the past, let's say, four days that I think not only important for the Breeders' Cup, but just in general. I think it has made some of these divisions, and I'm guilty of it, from the, the, the weeks prior leading into. I said, boy, some of these divisions look kind of straightforward, don't they? Maybe some of them still do, but at least now I think there are some intriguing 
not alternatives, but possibilities with some of these horses who have continued to improve and look really good doing some things that perhaps they don't want to do. When you get them doing what they want to do, maybe they become major players in certain divisions. So, again, I got about 25 races, and 25 may be a, a, you know, Bit of an exaggeration, but the point is, a ton of races to talk about. We're going to go over all the grade ones from Saratoga on Saturday, on Travers Day. Going to go over the Pat O'Brien from Del Mar and the Charlestown Classic from Charlestown. Let's spin into that and see, see if we can make heads or tails of any of these races and what they mean going forward. I also forgot the shared belief. That's going to be a race that we touch on as well. Let's start with the Travers, the big one on Saturday afternoon at Saratoga. What you see right here, this is the Naira YouTube channel. You can find all of the graded stakes races over there, uploaded in lovely high definition. Uh, this is entering the far turn, or rounding the far turn, I should say. Three quarters up in 14 and two. Midnight Bourbon's been by himself on the front end. Essential quality has been second throughout. We're going to take him as they round the turn and down the stretch and eventually take a look at some of the figs. You're going to see essential quality is all out here momentarily beneath Luis Saez. And look, this is just kind of his M.O., is a horse that needs to be pushed along, but he's going to continue to find. I thought this was far and away the best race of Midnight Bourbon's career. Understandably so, though, when he's allowed to get out there and go as slow as he did on the front end, I would expect nothing less than a giant performance. It still wasn't enough of an advantage to beat essential quality. This, to me, this is the heart of a champion. There's nothing else to say. He just doesn't like to lose. He goes and defeats a very, very game and gutsy Midnight Bourbon in a race at a distance that I wasn't convinced Midnight Bourbon would appreciate. Mile and a quarter. Gets the job done. Really impressive performance. The buyer comes back a 107 from each of the top two. Miles D finishes third with a 100 buyer, keeping in mind fourth with a 99. Uh, the, the only thing I'll say, if you're trying to look at it from a speed figure standpoint, I believe Timeform US had the number for essential quality around a 122 which doesn't jive with the 20 point differential i tend to lean more toward the time form us fig than the buyer simply because yes it's possible that midnight bourbon jumped up and he's look he's going to run the best race of his life given the circumstances but boy i i an 11 point career top it's not impossible but it just makes me think a little bit that maybe it's a, a hair on the high side because essential quality outside of the belmont with the 109 He's typically been sort of a high 90, low 100 kind of horse. If all of a sudden you take about five points off, that gets the central quality to the to the 102 range, which is right on par with the 20-point differential from the time form number of the 122. I think the, the buyer may be a, a, hair, a hair high. Because if you think about it, everything else sort of jives. If you take them all down five points, it's still a career best for Midnight Bourbon. Uh, it would pair up 95s for Miles D, who ran very well finishing third here in his first start really against proper graded stakes company. Uh, keep me in mind, take five away from that 99. It puts him in a 94, well within the realm of possibility for a horse like that, and, and so on and so forth. I think do with it what you will as the handicapper. It's entirely your call. All this does to me is further the idea that essential quality is one of a handful that can win the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, Midnight Bourbon, in my opinion, and maybe this is a little rash and harsh, um, if he didn't beat essential quality on Saturday, he's never going to beat him. Uh, maybe next year, but for, for this year, with that setup, he's not going to get a better setup than he did on Saturday. Half mile and 48 and four by himself, three quarters and 14 and two, and he still couldn't hold off essential quality. Uh, great performance from Midnight Bourbon. He, he ran his race. He just got beat by a better horse. And I don't see a scenario in which the tables turn at any point for the rest of this year, especially for a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. Personally, 
and I know this will be difficult for the Aspison barn and all parties involved. I think Midnight Bourbon has a better chance to win a race like the Dirt Mile, even though another Aspison horse in Silver State is probably going to be there. Then he does the classic. I don't know if the connections would, you know, decide to do one thing or the other. If they want to go to the classic, so be it. But essential quality, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty clear. He deserves to be on that short list of Breeders' Cup classic contenders. Let me know your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt about this year's Travers essential quality, I would say has all but locked up champion three-year-old honors with his victories specifically in the Belmont and the Travers, but sprinkle in the bluegrass, sprinkle in the Jim Dandy. Uh, I would assume they're going to train to the classic. I'd be surprised if we saw him again between now and then, uh, but he deserves to be, I think, on that very short list of, of legitimate threats to win this year's Breeders' Cup Classic. Midnight Bourbon, great effort. Really, I, I thought many of the three-year-olds were in really well here. Again, Miles D, keep me in mind, ran just fine. Uh, but Miles D, I think maybe uh, let's sort of get uh, He needs the, the confidence to continue along. And look, they, they got to build up a resume for him as well. Maybe the Pennsylvania Derby. Uh, maybe a race like uh, the Discovery at Aqueduct in November, I believe it is. That, to me, those are the kind of races I'd be thinking about with that horse. Midnight Bourbon, I would probably go Pennsylvania Derby from here. I think he fits in there very well. Uh, but essential quality, he is certainly the he, he is the boss of of this three year old division, even including a horse like Hot Rod Charlie. Although there is an interesting other horse who we'll get to momentarily. Uh, essential quality wins this year's Travers. Also from the Naira YouTube channel, this is the Sword Dancer Grade One. Channel Maker and Tribuvon are out there right now. We're going around the far turn. Uh, you know. 39 flat, but they went fast early. And, and the, the way the race played out, I thought was interesting because you see Japan and Gufo just in behind the two of those where we let the tape run. They're going to be the ones that end up coming and getting the job done. But I can't help but think part of partially their, their success was due to the way the race ended up playing out because for all intents and purposes, the pace fell apart. Cross border is going to end up finishing third in here. Gufo, you know, look, this is a career best race for him. Second time wearing blinkers. He's certainly a horse that it can be more forward now. He doesn't have to come from 100 out of it. You see Japan took him a little while to get extricated. Eventually does, flies home down the center of the track. Can't quite get to Gufo. Gufo is now a grade one winner. He gets the job done in the sword dancer. Now, I look at this race and I go, boy, I I, I missed the, the boat on this thing because I, I believed in Trebevan and based on the figs, he actually ran relatively close to what he's been running. But, you know, for whatever reason, maybe he was exposed at this level without being able to control things on the front end. When Channel Maker went to the front, maybe that compromised his chances. Gufo, I wasn't convinced that he was this good. I thought he was good, but not enough to be the, I don't want to say clear favorite, but pretty darn close to it. I mean, he, he was five to two. I know three of them were five to two in here, but... I just didn't think he had such a potent kick at the end that it was going to be so, you know, it was going to be enough to put him way ahead of everyone else. Put it that way. Japan's form, if we're calling a spade a spade, was uh, pedestrian over in Europe. And for him to come over here and only lose by a half length, and there's a, there's a, a case to be made that he was the best in here. I don't know what I want to think of this race. It's also something to keep in mind. And the, the time doesn't really reflect it, but maybe it does a little bit. I, I wonder if that course was a little bit boggier than, than maybe the official listing would say. It's listed as firm. You know, you look at the incremental pace according to Daily Racing Forms Formulator product, you know, a final quarter in 24, that's not, 
I don't know. That's not like they're burning home. You would expect at this level with horses legit turns of foot that you would be in that, you know, mid 22 second final quarter. I wonder if the amount of rain that fell on Saturday at Saratoga was enough to soften things up enough to make it that, you know what, maybe it really wasn't a rock hard turf course. And, and maybe you need to factor that in going forward. If you believe the figs, Gufo and Japan both make sense as far as the Breeders' Cup turf was concerned. It does make me wonder, though, did they have the run of the race in this spot? And if a horse like Mishrif comes over and runs in the turf, I mean, isn't he? He's, in a, he's not in the same class as Japan, is he? Maybe he is. Let me know what your thoughts are on Twitter at Bernie or underscore matter beneath the video player. But I just, I don't know. This race has me in a very difficult position because I, I feel like Tribavon's better than what we saw. Channel maker, it's debatable if he can still run. The race fell apart from a pace standpoint. Gufo, maybe he is better than I had given him credit for. And Japan, whose form in Europe was meh, he comes over here and runs a 104 buyer in his first start. I'm, I just, I'm having a difficult time coming to gr grasping on to what are we looking at? Is Mishrif going to come over here and run, run a 110 or a 112? Because I don't view he, he and Japan in the same category. And at the same time, we have seen speed do so well in route racing, really across the United States over the past year. Why all of a sudden did this race, did the pace fall apart? unless it was a little bit faster than maybe it seems again, 23 and one for a mile and a half is, is not walking out there. And maybe the turf had a little more cut in it than the official firm listing would suggest. Let me know what your thoughts are. Cause this is a race. I'm having a hard time figuring out what I want to do with going forward. Either it's a really key race and the top couple are going to be major players in the breeders cup, or you can look at it a few other sort of, you can look at it from a few different directions and say, maybe this isn't the race that you want to be, taking people out of or horses out of as far as the turf is concerned in a few months time down at Delmar. Personal Ensign, one of the more impressive performances of the day. Latruska, we're picking it up on the backside as they get ready to enter the far turn. She's gone a half and 46 and three. She got the opening quarter in 23 flat, taking pressure throughout. And the, the key piece to this, and again, this replay for the Personal Ensign is found over on Naira's YouTube channel. The, the key piece is the race falls apart from a pace standpoint with the exception of the big girl, and she goes and gets the job done. She's going to take challenges from many, many runners coming from off the pace. If you watched us on Saturday on the AVR live stream, the Breeders' Cup live show, I had mentioned that coming out of this race, don't just immediately say that whoever wins is going to be the winner of the distaff. And even after the race, I said, I think we need to think of it a little bit bigger picture. Yes, she put away all the speeds. Swiss Skydiver backs up. Harvey's Little Goyle backs up. Uh, the West Coast Invader, as time goes by, backs up. Miss Marissa backs up. Don't take anything away from Latruska. But when you see these, this cavalry, these three, Bonnie South, Royal Flag, and Dunbar Road, when you see them rolling from the back of the pack, and then they are all separated by a length, just at least entertain the idea that as impressive as the performance was from Latruska, if any of those other three girls were better than what they are, they would have won the race. I hope that makes sense. And, and please don't, don't start sending me stuff about, Oh, you're not, you're not giving Latruska a credit. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't, you know, Latruska won this race and it was an outstanding performance. 
And maybe there aren't any other girls that could run her down. But when you have four horses in a dirt race separated by a length, typically not a good sign, even if the winner was the one who did all of the work. I mean, all the work. But also factor in the idea that when you look at some of these speed figures, we have career bests for the second, third, and fourth place finishers. Now, again, with their running style, this is probably going to be the optimal performance from those girls. And maybe it's just another feather in the cap of Latruscas. But I, I look at it and go, Bonnie South, yeah, okay, maybe. She's only run 12 times. I don't know what happened in the Delaware Handicap, but she ran. she's run good races, and that, that 101 is not out of left field. It is a career best, but it's not crazy. Royal Flag, she's only run 11 times, but she's five now. And yes, she won the shoe V, took advantage of a fast pace, took advantage of a fast pace again in Saturday's personal ensign. Maybe she did run a career best fig. It's totally possible. Dunbar Road, form had left something to be desired. All of a sudden, bang, she shows up with a career best race. Maybe, maybe it's a scenario where no one else is going to be able to run down Latruska because she buried the other speeds. The only other thing I would throw out there, and it's easy to sit here and say this now, but I kind of had a feeling about this. It was part of the reason that, look, and the horse that I ended up picking was Graceful Princess. She earned a, uh, a gaudy five for a buyer speed figure. Also, to be fair, she can't stand up on, on a track with any moisture in it. And yes, it was listed as fast. The track had been sealed. There was a fair amount of rain that fell. So just basically draw a line through that race. But point being, it felt like a lot of them wanted the same piece of real estate. They were going to go. It would set up for horses coming from off of it. That's exactly what happened. But Latruska was still that good to get it done. Now, this is four consecutive races for Latruska where she has earned triple-digit buyer speed figures. It's four consecutive victories. It's four consecutive races where she has been out there on the lead. The only loss that she has in 2021, and I think I just, it needs to at least be thrown out there. The only race she lost was the Azari. It's the only race that she has tried to come from off the pace. And who did she lose to? I, I'm at a point now where this may be the only horse that, I get it, she got humbled in the Ogden Phipps. But I'm not convinced the one turn mile and 16th for She Dares the Devil was going to work. I was worried about it going into it. I still picked her just out of loyalty, and she was in good form, and she didn't really run well that day. I, I do wonder. She's got the run at Del Mar under her belt. She's a horse that can be forward. She's not dependent on the lead, but if she gets it, and if for whatever reason, and you look at some of the overseas markets right now, she is certainly the, I don't want to say the forgotten horse, but the horse that no one is giving any look to in the distaff division. When you look at the fact that she has won at Del Mar in the past, she's defeated Latruska on the square, and, and maybe she's the one that goes with her. Now, again, maybe that cooks both of their gooses and sets up for, for a more lightly raced horse like a Molotov, who is going to be the one that if you, I think she's going to be the horse now when we get to the Breeders' Cup. Latruska is going to be the favorite. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Molotov is going to be, I would assume, a close second choice because she is the unknown. She is the potential, the one who could take a step forward. I wouldn't rule out a horse like She Dares the Devil. And I think going through this field, of the speeds, so a skydiver, 
she's not running back to the she's her races just are not as good as they were as a three-year-old that, that's just a matter of fact so maybe she kind of peaked last year okay well we can poke holes in her maybe as a speed type uh as time goes by i wasn't convinced coming into this race that she was actually this good and i have no reason to believe otherwise thought this was a poor performance maybe she's not actually of that upper echelon okay so now there's two of your speeds that tried to go with Latruska and it didn't work but was it because of the pace or is it because they're just not of this caliber they're not really grade one types either ever or at this point in their life Harvey's a little Goyle I mean she's a turf horse I think we can agree on that now and yes she did make a an early sort of move down the backside into the hot one of the hotter parts of the race she's a turf horse Miss Marissa good story fun horse to root for she's not this level She's not a Breeders' Cup caliber kind of. Uh, so what I'm saying is just at least entertain the possibility. doesn't have to be your opinion. You may think Latruska is a slam dunk. I think she's going to be pretty damn hard to beat based on what she's done. She's done nothing wrong this year. But at least think outside the box a little bit, as opposed to everyone just sitting there saying it's hers to lose. Think of, I think, the, the just open yourself up, a willingness to be willing about thinking away from the, I'm not going to call it groupthink, but the, the echo chamber that is everyone saying, just heaping praise. Think of, because you're talking about a horse that's going to be an extremely short price. And she's run hard race after hard race. And oh, I shouldn't say that. Let me retract that statement. A couple, the Florida Lee was not a hard race. She, she walked out there on the front end. The Ogden Phipps, she went and she had to go fast. She certainly worked hard to win the apple blossom against Monomoy girl. And then in this race, she had to work really, really hard. I think she's the most likely winner of the distaff at this point, but I don't know that I think she's an absolute cinch in that race. Let me know your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Also from the Naira YouTube channel, this one's going to get the entirety. We're going to watch the whole thing. This is the H Allen Jerkins by my estimation, the best race of the day. This was the one many people were anxious to see coming into the weekend. Jackie's warrior against the returning life is good. This was one of the most stunning pieces for me of the race was that Jackie's warrior was going the Jackie's warrior kind of pace and life is good outfooted him and cleared to the front going a, a legitimate clip, depending on what you look at. I know the, the timing up there says 2197. I think it may actually be even quicker than that. If you're looking at track don't quote me on that. But point being, life is good was ready to roll out of the gates at a distance and configuration that may not be what he actually wants to do. He opens up on Jackie's Warrior. I'm watching this live thinking, wow, this horse is a freak of nature. If he's just going to be able to put away who I think might be the best sprinter in the world in Jackie's Warrior, not so fast. Not so fast. I know life is good as a few paths off the rail, and I know Mike Smith caught some flack for that. Whatever. It is what it is. I'm not too worried about that. For Jackie's Warrior to come back the way that he does on the inside, to battle back and go and get life is good, I think just speaks volumes about how talented this racehorse is, the kind of heart and determination that he's got. And for me, you're looking at two horses that are, I would say, of equal talent, but want to do different things. And we're going to hopefully see on the gallop out, you're going to see what I'm talking about. Jackie's Warriors gallop out is going to be rather choppy and quick because he's tired. Keep an eye on life is good momentarily. Hopefully we get it. Look at him. Keep going. Now, 
my point being there, when you look at these two horses and the speed figures they earn, Jackie's Warrior, a career best 107, life is good at 106, pretty darn close to the 107 he earned in San Felipe. To me, Jackie's Warrior, you saw him get a little bit choppy there at the end because he's a six or seven furlong horse at heart. If you want to say he's a one-turn miler, I'm not going to argue with you. You can probably get it. I think he's at his best going six or seven, which is why for the Breeders' Cup sprint, I think he's the horse to beat. Plain and simple. I think they, if somebody's going to beat him, so be it. But he, he is the most talented horse sprinting, in my opinion, in the country and arguably the world. Life is good, on the other hand. To be able to do what he did at a distance that I think is not ideal for him. I think he's the kind of horse that his speed plays better going longer, two turns specifically. For him to do that to Jackie's Warrior made me think you, if he stays sound, and that's a big if, he is the key to the Breeders' Cup Classic. You got to get one more race into him, I would think. A stretch out in distance. Two turns would be preferable, but if it, you know, my initial thought was the race like the Pennsylvania Derby, but if you don't really want to get into a, a duel or battle with, with Hot Rod Charlie, you know, you start thinking of alternatives. You go out to Santa Anita and run in a race like the Awesome again. I don't know that you want to be shipping him back and forth across the country leading into the Breeders' Cup. I thought of the Woodward at Belmont Park at the beginning of October, a one-turn mile and an eighth. I think that would, granted, it's not two turns, but I think it would be enough of a stepping stone or springboard where fitness isn't going to be an issue for the mile and a quarter classic. He also has the speed that can go with Nick's go, which may be the key to the entire equation. I've been asking, waiting, who could possibly go with Nick's go early on? Because if nobody keeps him honest, he's just going to go and run off. I have to assume life is good. I don't care how good he's been training. And I know Todd's numbers off the layoff are exceptional. But I have a hard time believing that this was the best version of this horse. I, I think he was, he ran his eyeballs out. But I think there's reason to believe he's going to be better going longer and two turns specifically. Life is good to me is the key to the Breeders' Cup Classic now. I don't know what the next race will be. And again, knock on wood, let's just hope that he stays healthy. But I, I, he was actually the one that I was most impressed by, I think, on Saturday afternoon, which sounds wild because Jackie's Warrior battled back on the inside. But to be honest, I kind of expected that sort of race from Jackie's Warrior. I think he's the best sprinter in the world. Life is good. I don't think he's a sprinter. And he almost beat Jackie's Warrior, which gets me excited about thinking if he can stay sound and stretch out to two turns, mile and a quarter for the Breeders' Cup Classic because he could be the key to that division in that race. There's also one other horse, and we'll get to him in a little bit later on, but there may be another horse that Nick's Go and company are going to have to keep an eye on from a classic standpoint. Let me know your thoughts about the showdown between Jackie's Warrior and Life is Good in the Jerkins. Naira YouTube channel, the grade one forego. This may not have been the race of the day. It was a, it was a damn good race. It was certainly the craziest thing that happened at Saratoga on Saturday. I'm going to take it from almost the top of the lane. Yalpon down on the inside. Looks like he is in deep water. Forenze Fire on the outside, trying to get his first grade one of his career. Top of the lane, Forenze Fire, they go to work. It looks like Jose and Forenze are going to go on and win this thing. Yalpon's been all out for quite a while. 
I'm looking at it right now going, wow, Yelpon's showing a little bit of heart. Pretty good, pretty good. He's battling on, but I still think Frenze Fire is going to be the one to get him. Oh, no, what's he doing? He's trying to bite him multiple times. And Yelpon is able to hang on, and we'll rewind it. Because it was just such a biz- – I, I, I kept looking up going, what the hell's going on? I think right now Frenze Fire's got him, got him, got him, and then he tries to get him, quite literally, tries to bite him on the face a few times. Savage, I believe, is the word, the term that uh, John Embryol used. Yalpon ends up winning the great one four go. Frenze fired. That had to be just like a soul-crushing defeat for everyone involved with the horse. Um, good to see him get back to his best race. But I, I, I just look at that and I go, what, what causes that? Because I do think he would have won had he just kept going instead of trying to bite Yalpon on the head. Uh, 103 buyer for Yalpon, 102 for Forenze Fire. I mean, I think they're both good horses, but I don't, I don't think either of them are as good as Jackie's Warrior. Uh, and if that's the case, and that's not including anybody out west, and we'll talk about the Pat O'Brien in a little bit, and you know, again, a horse like Flightline, who we haven't seen in a while, and and Bo Liam, who ran another giant race on Saturday at Saratoga, uh, excuse me, Sunday at Saratoga. I, I just, I look at these guys and I go, yeah, you're all good. I, I just, I don't know that I think any one of these horses is Breeders' Cup sprint caliber anymore. It's worth noting Whitmore was vanned off. He has been retired since. He is, you know, I, I think he is probably one of the more popular racehorses in the past handful of years, just given his incredible consistency and, and the length that he was able to compete at the highest level, winning last year's Breeders' Cup sprint. Uh, the other thing that is probably worth noting is Lexitonian stumbled badly out of the gate. So, I mean, draw a line through this race entirely. If he can get back to that Vanderbilt from two starts back, uh, you know, he does become interesting and he's run well at Del Mar in the past. All of that being said, I just, if Jackie's warrior runs his race, can any of these guys beat him? Uh, oh boy, I, I don't know. I mean, somebody else is going to have to go really fast early on. Maybe a brickyard ride from out in California, but I don't know if any of these horses has the kind of early foot that Jackie's Warrior does. Um, but the the whole, the biting incident, it was incredible. Incredible to watch. And again, you feel you feel for the, the connections involved because I think he would have won. Instead, he got hungry and he tried to bite Yalpon's face. Yalpon wins the grade one forego at Saratoga, 103 buyer. And you would assume who the, the horse who was the betting favorite in last year's Breeders' Cup sprint, you would assume he has another another date with the sprint at Del Mar in just a few weeks' time. And he's probably not the favorite in there, but he's got to be among the favorites. Grade one ballerina from the Naira YouTube channel. Gamin bet down to one to five. This will be the last race from the spa that we talk about on Saturday. It, it just it seemed difficult to envision a scenario where anybody else was able to go with her early on. She's the best horse, who's probably going to get the best trip, and is the fastest. I mean, what, what else do you need to say? We're taking it as they round the far turn. There are things, though, to observe, and this is becoming a theme with Gamine. You see her head, she's kind of getting out a little bit. It's not that she just doesn't want to turn around the corner as they hit the top of the lane. It's going to take Johnny a minute to get her over to her right lead, still on the left, still on the left, eventually is going to shift over right there to that right lead. It's also worth noting she had at least one aluminum shoe on. She's got some feet problems, and I, I can't help but look at that and think, 
I, I would just be leery about it long term. When she's running, she's just better than everyone else, point blank. I, I don't know that you can even argue that at this point. 104 buyer here for the Baffert trainee. Uh, Lake Avenue, a career best 101. She's done a number of different things in her career, and I think finally they figured out this is what she wants to do. So I don't have too many questions or gripes about the fig. Uh, the other reason, too, that the, the beautiful thing that, and I don't know if they intentionally did this or it was just the way that everything laid out, You'll note that the three seven furlong grade one races were run back to back to back. So you see a final time from Gamine in 21 and three. You see a final time from Yaupon in 21 and three. And you see a final time from Jackie's Warrior in 21 and almost two. Um, to be exact, it was 2161, 2174, 2139. Pretty, pretty cut and dry from a fig standpoint. Um, CC running back to her 98 and and Sconson arguably running a career best finishing fourth. You know, I mean, if you wanted to really split hairs, maybe everybody, you know, the three races, maybe they need to come down just a hair, but I, I'm not even going down that road. Uh, Gamine, I, I think again, not, not breaking any news when she runs her race, she's better than everyone else. Physically, there's something clearly off. Is it enough that would hold her back from winning the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint for a second year in a row? I don't see any reason why it would, um, but you know, to each their own. If you're looking for reasons to go against a short price, you do have some. I just need some. Put it this way: for me to really be inclined to take a shot against Gamine in a race like the Philly and Mare Sprint, there's got to be other legitimate speed in there. Not horses who can be forward early on. Not horses who are versatile. Proper speedballs. Someone's got to go with her early on. And I know she's shown that she can sit like she did last year at Keeneland, but I, I still maintain with this little nagging kind of physical thing that she may have wrong with her. The only way that I'm really going to be jonesing to take a shot against is if there's other speed in there to kind of soften her up early on. And then perhaps we start to see the effects of, you know what, maybe she got a little bit of an ouchy foot. Um, that's just my opinion. I, I think when she's, if she continues on like this, I, I don't see any reason why she should lose the Philly and Mare Sprint. Let me know what you think. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, am I just, am I just giving this division to her? Or does a, a horse like, was it Bella Sophia, the Philly who won the test? You know, is, is that kind of horse out there who could put the boots to Gamine early on? And maybe she either wins by herself or softens the two of them up and sets it up for somebody from off the pace, a CC or someone of those likes. Let me know what you think. Now, shift out to Delmar. Pat O'Brien stakes a win and you're in for the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile out at Delmar on Saturday. We're going to be keeping an eye on Ginobili, the winner. He was the number one horse here in the slam dunk silks. They're coming down the backside. Drayden Van Dyke, already a really slick ride. Rode from the inside, was able to get out, split between the five and the seven. Right now, the seven's Brickyard ride, and he's taken up the perfect stalking position. This is a performance, and these are two performances in a row from this horse that I think are legitimate threats to win a race like the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, especially because he's shown an affinity for the Del Mar main track. That move right there, that's, to me, that is the turn time fractional. When you can run like that around the turns, and get everybody else off the bridle, and you're still just cruising along. They set you down for the drive. You go on and get the job done pretty impressively. Yes, easy rocket on the outside, and the pink comes at you at the very end, but the damage was done. He had already won the race. 
this this horse to me is is fascinating because I've seen enough people on social media bring up the idea like, well, where did this come from? He's never been any good, and and what now? All of a sudden, he's running giant races. That is such a short sighted way of looking at things, in my opinion. Let's go over and take a look here into 102 buyer on the heels of a 104 buyer. Keeping in mind also that 104 was a two-turn mile at Del Mar. Why am I saying that anybody that thinks that this is out of left field is kind of naive, I think? When you go through and look, these are his past, his last 10 buyer speed figures. And I get it. You have a, a number of races that are, are sub 80. So you go, what, all of a sudden now he's a triple-digit buyer horse? Keep in mind, three of his past six races had come on turf. And he ran well in one of them but he's not a turf horse. Prior to that, he had a couple of clunkers. They both came at Oak Lawn Park. One of them was going a two-turn mile on the 16th, but worth noting, both of them were at Oak Lawn. Maybe he hated the Oak Lawn Park track. The grade one Delmar Futurity, he's close to a hot pace and packs it in. Granted, that was a terrible Delmar Futurity, but point being, he debuted at Los Al. Not going to hold that against him. So he breaks his maiden at Del Mar in, in gate-to-wire fashion, earns an 83. Then they tried him on turf again to round out his two-year-old campaign. Draw a line through it. I don't care about that race. The San Vicente, he runs a monster race against Nadal. So you've got, now you've got two really, just really strong dirt sprints. I'm throwing out the two Oaklawn races. Just because. He didn't have to like uh, Oaklawn Park. I'm drawing a line through the three turf races. Now, I'm sure people are going to go, well, what, what's your rationale for this clunker in the N1X at, at Santa Anita? Going six and a half. You'll note these last two races have been his first two with an equipment change. He's had blinkers on for each of them. I, I, I think, to me, he's the, the prime example of you need to look. You, you got to get a little creative when you look at some of these horses. So if you're one of the folks who just sits there and goes, oh, I had a left field, something's going on. No, it's not always something nefarious. It, it could just as easily be a situation where he didn't like a certain racetrack. He's not a turf horse. They put blinkers on and he put it all together. And it's not like he was a horse that never hinted at any ability. He ran fast as a two-year-old and he ran fast as a February three-year-old last year. So, and by the way, he's run fast, but he hasn't run like ballistically fast. He's run a 104 and a 102. It's not like we're talking about 120 buyers. I think he's a fast horse. I think he's an improving horse. And I think he's better going two turns than he is one. So I think you've got a legitimate candidate here for the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. He's proven himself over the Del Mar main track. He has run the two best races of his life with blinkers on. And I like that he doesn't have to have the lead. I know that, you know, you just look at it and go, well, he's been pretty darn close to a need to lead type. He's been close to it, but that Pat O'Brien, he sat about a half, half length off of it. And again, you get a great ride from Drayden Van Dyke. I think Ginobili is one that you need to keep an eye on. I don't know what they would do for a prep, if there will be a prep for him between now and the Breeders' Cup. But as a winning you're in for the dirt mile and the way he ran there, I think he's just as logical or interesting at a price as anybody else in that division. Let me know what your thoughts are about Ginobili's victory in the Pat O'Brien. Friday night, Charlestown Classic, grade two, three-turn, mile and an eighth. This is from the Race Charlestown YouTube channel. Sleepy Eyes Todd, the winner of last year's race, is setting the pace. Art Collector is breathing down his neck as they go into the third of three turns. Uh, you know, Art Collector was a 
He was an interesting horse to me because last year I thought going into the Preakness, it was his race to lose. I really did. And he ran horribly. And then he came back and I believe he ran in the dirt mile and he ran horribly again. And then he was sent to Belmont and his two runs this year, this race and the run up at Saratoga, I thought both of them were spectacular. He doesn't do the goofy stuff with his leads anymore. And both races at a mile and an eighth, one at an unconventional mile and an eighth. And he ran fast again. Here in a 103 buyer speed figure. This is back-to-back 103s. He has paired up career tops. I have no idea what the next move for this horse is. Do you try a race like the Woodward? I believe there was, uh, Kate and Brader may have interviewed him. or she, I know she interviewed Bill Mott. And I, I don't remember off, offhand if he had mentioned the Woodward as a potential next step. But if he runs well there, you got to think. I would think you, you look at the classic, right? He's got the tactical speed that can keep him into the run. Let's say, in theory, life is good goes with Nick's go. They both soften one another up. I mean, isn't a horse like Art Collector kind of in the catbird seat? Now, maybe he's not good enough, but I don't, I'm not ready to just sit here and entirely say he can't improve. I just thought it was a really good effort all around, and this is a horse who continues to improve. Um, Art Collector may be one you want to, you know, if you were so inclined and you're really looking for something, I wouldn't say outside the box, but an alternative to the horses that have been talked about time and time again for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Maybe Art Collector is one to keep an eye on. And who knows, maybe he even goes in in the dirt mile if they are not not convinced that he can handle, you know, the Classic. But I I just think he's he's very quickly become an interesting kind of candidate for a race like that. Art Collector gets the job done over the defending champion Sleepy Eyes Todd in the Charlestown Classic. He's paired up career best figs of 103. And who knows what that next race could end up being for him. Perhaps it's a springboard to a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. Last race to recap this week, the shared belief on Sunday afternoon at Del Mar, the, for now, Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit returns to the races and he's got Rock Your World breathing down his neck throughout. You look at the fractions and this video is over on the Del Mar YouTube channel. 22 and two for the opening quarter, 46 and four for the opening half. Right about now, Medina Spirit looks like he's in a little bit of deep water. Johnny V's pushing along, pushing along, but this is Medina Spirit. He is not going to do it in the sexiest fashion, but boy, does he not want to lose. He's the kind of horse, and I think the, it's most interesting. Keep an eye on his ears. I talk about that sort of stuff all the time. He's still got plenty in the tank. Now, he did something a little funny there. He was early with his lead change. I don't love to see that sort of thing. But I get the impression that that he's never going to let this horse go by as long as Johnny's asking him for run. Now, if you want to sit here and say it's one thing to do it against Rock Your World on dirt, if you're a firm believer that Rock Your World is a turf horse, that's a fair argument. But there is a part of me that looks at it and says, by the way, here in a 100 buyer in victory here, There's a part of me that says you can't deny the fact that this horse has got heart. Put all the the pomp and circumstance aside. Medina Spirit is a gutsy little horse. Now, I don't know if gutsy gets you a victory in the Breeders' Cup Classic. You know who he reminds me a little bit of from that sort of like, I want to go and beat you? He reminds me a little bit of maximum security. Neither of them, I would say, were the most supremely talented horses of all time. But boy, they had the will to win. And 
you know, it, it's not just a horse racing thing, but we've seen in, in human sports, you know, the idea of the will to win can outweigh pure talent on different occasions. And Medina's spirit, the key for him is to make the lead because I'm still not convinced he would pass anyone. So now the, the discussion has come up. Is he going to go to the Pennsylvania Derby? Is he going to run in the awesome again en route to the Breeders' Cup Classic? In very short time, Nick's go has all of a sudden potentially picked up at least one other pace horse in Medina Spirit, who the two of them have very similar running styles. One is basically proven that if he doesn't get the lead, he's not going to win. Nick's go. The other, to date, we, we don't know if he would pass anyone. So you got two horses that share similar running styles. Who's faster early on? I think naturally it's Nick's go, but you know Medina Spirit, they're just going to ride the hair off and try to get to the front. Then you add in a horse like Life is Good. If they choose to go that route and stretch him out in distance, naturally he may actually be the fastest of the three of them all of a sudden we have found a race that for the past call it seven months going back to the pegasus world cup has been a relatively paceless division now and throw in hot rod charlie throw in midnight bourbon if you want all of a sudden this is a division that's got quite a bit of early speed so I had been fearful that it was simply a procession for Nick's go because he's going to go to the front and nobody's going to run with him. Now, now you've got horses who it's not even a matter of tactically, you know, we're going to try to change things up and, and be really aggressive. No, naturally, they're aggressive. They want to go. And it could potentially open the door for horses who come from a little bit farther off of it. I think the classic division got a whole lot more interesting over the past three or four days. Let me know overall your thoughts. We've gone over a lot of races here this week on any of these races and any other races and horses who have run over the past handful of days, whether it's at Saratoga, it's at Del Mar, it's at Charlestown, it's anywhere beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. So there you have it, a lot covered here on episode 80 of the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Uh, many ways to find the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you watch over on YouTube, search bar Matt Burner, your show, you get this episode along with the 79 prior. Join myself and PTF on Thursday for a Horse Player Happy Hour. We are supposed to be together actually doing the show up in Saratoga. Looking forward to that. We'll also be doing live from the Brentwood on Saturday morning. That'll be out on all of the sort of in-the-money platforms. And then Saturday afternoon, NBCSN, I believe at 5 o'clock, we'll have the Flower Bowl and the Jockey Club Gold Cup. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. All of these avenues, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to us. And if you are on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the channel and thumbs up or thumbs down. Either way, your prerogative. Uh, looking forward to seeing what happens this coming weekend and also hearing some of your opinions about the racing that we saw, the fantastic racing that we saw across the board over the past few days at Saratoga, Del Mar, and Charlestown. Uh, until next Monday. No, I lied. Next Monday's the holiday. Next Tuesday. Till next Tuesday. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 80 of the Matt Burnham Show. Show.